Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics, and thanks for logging in and joining us today because, as you are probably aware, we did have some earnings out from Fortuna Silver after the close yesterday, and also a lot of developments going on with Fortuna because we have uh, the Seguela Gold Project, which is getting very close to the first gold pour and some other developments of the company. And fortunately, fortunately to join us today to walk through the latest news is Jorge Ganoza of Fortuna Silver, as well as Dave Kranzler of Investment Research Dynamics. And fortunately uh, joining us as well is Rafi Farber of the Endgame Investor. So great to have all of you here today and everybody watching at home. Might add this is a live call. So if you have questions for Jorge or for uh, Dave or Rafi as well, feel free to start typing those into the chat and we will uh, be picking those up as we go along. But great to have everyone here today. And Jorge, uh, especially you, uh, nice to have you here. And you had earnings that came out after the close yesterday. So perhaps you could walk us through how things are looking and we can start there. Yes, thank you, Chris, once again, for the opportunity to speak to your audience and, and uh, to, to Dave and Rafi as well. Uh, you know, we reported the year-end results, uh, looking at our adjusted results. Uh, you know, we met and, and exceeded the analyst consensus for the quarter. We reported two cents per share. Uh, which was uh, in line with analyst consensus for the quarter. And for the year, we reported uh, adjusted net income of 15 cents per share, which was basically a slight, uh, slightly ahead of analyst consensus for the year, which was 14 cents per share on, on, on net income. Uh, on the unadjusted figures, we reported a, a, a loss of $160 million in the quarter, or 52 cents per share, and that translates into the year as well, mainly coming from non-cash impairment charges that we have taken at our mines in uh, uh, Burkina Faso, the Yaramoco mine, the Lindero mine in Argentina, and the San Jose mine in Mexico. Uh, so those non-cash uh, impairment charges uh, weighted heavily on, on, our, on our results. But if we look at that adjusted EBITDA, we had a, you know, a robust EBITDA for the quarter of uh, almost $56 million and uh, totaling $245, $46 million in EBITDA for the year. We report free cash flow from ongoing operations. That's something that a lot of our peers don't do. Uh, but we do it. Uh, this is uh, free cash flow from ongoing operations after meeting uh, corporate overhead and, and, and sustaining capital, of course, right? So after meeting all of our capital investments and paying for corporate overhead and all of that, uh, the business uh, in the year generated $69 million of free cash from ongoing operations. That's before investment in, in Seguela, right? So uh, it was a, a, a year where our production met guidance. No, we made guidance for the year on production. We made guidance for the year for cost. Uh, we have uh, taken our production from 350,000 ounces of gold equivalents in 2021 to 402,000 ounces of gold equivalents in 2022. And we already guided 2023 where we're 
uh, aiming to produce 450,000 ounces of gold. So three years of sustained growth, two, three years of sustained growth in production. And our costs, you know, we, are, are, we have varying costs depending on the mines. Uh, but basically are aligned with, with what would be mid-range of, of global mine supply if I consolidate the cost of all of our assets, right? Uh, around $1,350, $1,380 is what we was, was the all-in sustaining cost of our production in 2022. And that compares against, again, the, the median for global mine supply stands at around uh, $1,300 per ounce. So uh, in, undoubtedly, the industry is seeing a lot of margin compression over the coming you know, 12, 24 months. And that's something we can talk about. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen significant inflation in, in key consumables, in, 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 in labor uh, that have compressed margins compared to last year, right? And, and that has weighted on everybody's results across the board on the mining side. Yeah, and that was one of the questions I had, Jorge, because for those impairment charges, you mentioned that it was the increased inflation cost and higher cost of capital. Is that something that, unfortunately, as we have the higher rates and inflation still elevated, shall we say, um, is that something that could be a concern going forward, or does this pretty much package what you expect to see? You know, uh, when you, you see... Uh... Uh, impairment uh, signals, uh, then you dig into it, right? So out of the five assets that we currently manage, we, we saw impairment uh, uh, signals in, in three of them. Uh, we have dig deep uh, with our auditors in, in, in the analysis of, of the impairment charges. And the reasons for the imper impairments at the three assets are a bit different. Right, the common theme across the, the the three is inflation. That's a common theme, no? Elevated costs and elevated costs. Although we met guidance, these costs are elevated compared to last year. Right, when we did our last impairment test, we do uh, we look for for signals of impairment every year. So compared to last year, we have seen higher costs. We can talk about the costs of key consumables, for example. No, but that's a common theme across. And then, for example, at the Aramoco, where we took the largest impairment, we that was everything was aggravated by the loss of 166,000 ounces of gold in the recovery of the crown pillar, which was in reserves. So by writing off those ounces, you know that weighted, and also the fact that. Uh, you know, the purchase price accounting, when we bought Roxgold, we allocated pockets of value to exploration. And as the exploration has not materialized, well, we're writing off that exploration, uh, that value we allocated to exploration. That doesn't mean that we're not going to make discoveries. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to stop exploring. Uh, but uh, that weighted as well. In the case of the Lindero mine, we are applying, you know, under the guidance of the auditors, a higher discount rate to, to our mine in Argentina, uh, inflation, a higher discount rate are the main things weighing in the impairment at uh, that mine. And in the case of San Jose, it's a small impairment of eight, $9 million. 
mainly attributed to uh, investment in exploration over the last years where we have been marginally successful in replacing ore, no? depleting ore. No? So uh, we have uh, decided to take a small impairment of eight, nine billion dollars. So with all of that moving forward, we expect that you know, all of these non-cash accounting balances, which is basically an impairment, have been taken no? yeah. and cleared. And if we find ore at any of these assets, we are continuing exploration, what you should expect to see hopefully could be an impairment reversal that we have seen in the past. We have taken impairments over the years before and we have reversed some of those in the past as well, right? Okay, well, appreciate that. Um, another thing that you touched on in your opening comments uh, and so all in sustaining cost, and I was wondering if you could elaborate a little more on that, the company-wide all in sustaining cost, plus what you might see that as once Seguela is ramped up and, and fully running. Yes, for example, uh, for the year on, on the side of our uh, silver mines, our silver mines for 2022 produced uh, silver, at an only sustaining cost of $15 in Mexico and $17 in uh, $17, $18 in Peru, uh, the Cayoma mine. And on the gold side of the business, uh, the Lindero mine for the year produced gold at uh, an only sustaining cost of $1,142. And Yaramoco was more in the range. Uh, <coughs> Yaramoco was. Uh, more in the range of for all in sustaining for the year uh, in the range of 1600 no 1600 so we have seen a heavy uh, inflation creeping through the year on key consumables for example uh, we monitor closely diesel, cement, explosives, and cyanide as key consumables. Uh, and we've seen uh, inflation ranging from you know, 30% up to 68, 70%, depending on the, on the consumable, depending on the country, right? So uh, that, that's what we've seen from, from, for, for 2022 starting 2021 to 2022 so uh, very steep increases into 2023 some of those inflationary pressures are, are abating uh, but uh, so we don't see that much inflationary pressure in these initial months and coming into 2023 but uh, certainly you know as i've been saying if you look at world gold world gold council figures the median cost for global mine supply right now is $1,300. As of that's, this is data as of Q3, I would expect that for Q4, that's even higher. Uh, two years ago, uh, the median for global mine supply only sustaining cost was $1,000. So, you know, we're see, experiencing a lot of margin compression and, and, uh, and uh, that's why uh, assets like Seguela are so relevant. 
right, for a mining company, will produce there at an only sustaining cost of under $1,000 uh, at or below $1,000 with a mine that will have meaningful production, long life of reserves, <clears throat> and in a good mining jurisdiction. Yeah. All right. And uh, Dave, I will toss it over to you. I know you have some questions there and you look like you're ready to go. So uh, would you like to ask today? Well, at first, I just kind of wanted to point out, I mean, you know, the, the impairments are non-cash charges. And as Jorge mentioned, you know, there's a chance that they could be partially reversed out down the road, depending on, on you know, what they find with exploration. But um, what I like to do is I like to, I like to go right to the cash flow statement when I look at look at uh, financials and um, Fortuna generated 194 million of cash flow from operations versus 147 million last year. So, and to me, that tells me that despite the higher expenses, you're getting you're getting better productivity across all your mines um, than than you did a year earlier. And part of that might have to do. Well, actually, the gold price was your average gold price realized was roughly the same and silver was down. So in my opinion, that, you know, that that's pretty remarkable. Um, and then the other thing that I just, you know, I wanted to point out is uh, this was your 2022 was your big year of CapEx for Segala. And if you just kind of look at, you know, strip out what was spent to build Segala on an ongoing basis, you know, with nothing else changing, that's going to boost, that's going to add another 80 million to cash flow from operations. So, um, you know, despite the impairments, uh, I, you know, I thought these numbers were actually pretty, pretty strong, if not really strong, especially considering the inflationary cost environment that mining companies are operating in this year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and again, uh... I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat an impairment, but we should not be distracted with this non-cash uh, impact uh, on, on the financials. And away from the fact that uh, the business has generated strong cash flow uh, in spite of margin compression, where a lot of our peers are even uh, you know, reporting negative operating incomes. You know, we generated $147 million in the year of operating income, mine operating income, that is. Uh, no, and, and uh, uh, $245 million so in adjusted EBITDA, like you pointed out, $194 million in net cash provided by operating activities, which translates into free cash flow, no? Free cash flow from operations after uh, funding uh, corporate uh, and, and sustaining capital uh, at all of our mines of uh, almost $70 million in the year, right? So, uh, no, I mean, in spite of all of this, our business continues generating free cash and, and uh, we have the best mine coming into production, as you pointed out. And that's what's exciting. That's a catalyst for value. We have a big catalyst for value, which is we have a, a, a flagship asset, a, a flagship mine coming into production. Another thing I wanted to point out is that, um, and I, I don't look at all of the producing mining companies' financials, so I like to focus on junior explorers, but um, there are companies that are taking these impairment charges and write-downs to their assets, but not 
not to the extent that you guys did. And so I just, you know, I wanted to applaud. I, I think it's conservative use of accounting and, and, <clears throat> and gap accounting and proper use of gap accounting, because you're basically saying, hey, we don't want to mislead the public about what may or may not happen down the road. But this is where we think we stand today. And that's why we we took these impairment charges. And a lot of companies kick those charges down the road to make their numbers look better. Um, and, 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 oh, and even with even with the write down of the assets, your your book value is still 442 a share. So your your the, the stock is being valued by the market at a 27% discount to book value, which I think is entirely unreasonable. Yeah. And uh to, to elaborate more on, 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 on what you're saying, on you know, presenting it as it is, uh, we took uh, a write-down of ounces on reserves at the Yaramoko mine. Uh, when we acquired Roxbold, we identified three pockets with respect to, to reserves and resources, three areas of focus. One was Seguela resources and reserves. The other one was 55 zone at Yaramoco. And the other one was the recovery of the crown pillar. The crown pillar held less than 10% of the total ounces of Roxbold, less than 10%. And with the time that you have for due diligence, we said, you know what? We'll focus on Seguela, on zone 55 at Yaramoco, and we'll look at the ground pillar. And what we saw in the ground pillar was, a, or, or assessment was that the ground pillar needed far more work because Rocks Gold, being a single asset company, and, 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 and those companies tend to be a bit more aggressive on how they present things, was making some very, some bold assumptions with respect to the economics of the ground pillar and whatnot. So we said, you know what? We are gonna close the transaction. We're gonna leave it in the reserves because you know there is a technical report supporting that. But the first thing we're gonna do is further work to de-risk the crown pillar, right? Instead of placing putting the crown pillar in our mine plans and our guidance for ounces and whatnot, we'll say before we do that, we're gonna do further work. So we developed a plan. We executed the plan, which encompassed further drilling, geological modding, modeling, technical studies. And the outcome of that is that 166,000 ounces have disappeared of the mine plan. But you know what? People say, well, how did this happen? You know, we are being conservative. We have done the work. And the worst thing that you could expect is to have those ounces come into a mine plan. And then you say, oops, they weren't there. <laughs> no, we never allowed those ounces to come into our mine plants, right? We did the work. That's why I think it's more uh, it's better for the investors that those assets are in the hands of a company like Fortuna rather than in the hands of a smaller com one-asset company, right? When you are running a one-asset company, uh, management, I've seen this over and over, tends to extend uh, things to the limit and be far more bold with assumptions than what you would expect in a bigger company, right? Uh, and and uh, But if I look at our West African business since uh, July 2021, when we closed the acquisition, if I look at the West African business, 
let's say eight over the last 18 months accounting for the loss of the crown pillar ounces we are net positive almost 20 percent on the ounces so in spite of the loss in the crown pillar we have added in west africa 20 percent more ounces right and that is because Segela continues to give. And that's why we bought Roxburgh, because of Segela. Yaramoko was a nice add-on, but the driver was Segela. Um, one more thing really quickly. Uh, Chris Marchese, unfortunately, couldn't join us, but um, he was interested in, in kind of what you expect for Yaramoko's remaining life based on what you know now. And obviously, that changes as you and if and as you discover additional resource that can be used to replace what's being depleted but what do you what does it look like now and and what are your expectations for Yaramoko? based on on the reserve we have at Yaramoko, Yaramoko has a good 2023 uh good 2024 and then towards the end of 2025 it goes into shutdown now we continue exploring. And uh, today, our chief operating officer for West Africa, David Whittle, during the results call mentioned that we have been successful in identifying mineralization and we're extending drifts on both the east wing of the zone 55 and the west wing of zone 55 in ore. And uh, we have the expectation that we will be able to bring additional resources uh, that are currently not in reserves. Uh, that's an expectation based on what we're seeing in the mine. And uh, I don't believe that's going to be like uh, earth shattering in terms of, you know, uh, changing uh, the, the, the complete story for that mine based on what we know today. But certainly in these mines, you continue finding ore over time. And, and, you know, and, and perhaps you are not able to fully offset depletion for a year or two, but you start reducing the rate of depletion. So my expectation is that that mine will be able to produce beyond the, the, what we have currently in, 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 in the mine plans, which is 2025. So my expectation, based on what I, what I see in the mine today, and I was in West Africa for 10 days. Uh, I arrived yesterday from West Africa. Uh, our expectation is that, uh, you know, we'll be able to slow down the rate of depletion with what we're finding. And, and you know, we still have to do a lot of work and, and we need a bit of luck, but we're seeing ore that's not in inventories, right? Okay. Uh, Rafi, I'll pass it over to you now. Great to have you here, my friend. And uh, any questions that you'd like to ask Jorge? Yeah. Um, wait, is my camera working? I don't see myself moving. Am I moving on your screen? Yes, yes you, you are. are. You look okay, good. Well, good. So I don't have to see myself move. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so I was wondering, um, you mentioned the impairment due to inflation. But that's across the entire industry. So that's definitely not unique to you. Um, what, what steps, uh, can you take, uh, including like fuel hedging and stuff like that to, um, to, to hedge against, uh, let's say galloping inflation, if it gets worse, which I expected to in 2023. Um, and obviously like, it, you know, as a, as a gold and silver miner, you're naturally hedged against inflation because eventually 
you know, the price of the precious metals are going to outpace inflation. We just don't know exactly when that outpacing is going to begin, but it, it's going to happen. And that is a natural hedge. What can you do um, maybe with uh, diesel hedges or stuff like that to really get out in front of the, the fuel price? Is that something that you engage in or do you, or uh, is that something that you uh, shy away from? That's a very good question because uh, you see a lot of, uh, you hear a lot of, uh, crying and nagging from mining executives on, on how inflation is uh, eating our pie. And uh, uh, we don't hear enough about, you know, what is it that we're doing? So to begin with, Fortuna implemented uh, diesel hedges uh, throughout 2022. So we have benefited in 2022 from diesel hedges and we have some of that protection extending into 2023. <coughs> Uh, but uh, at Lindero Mine, for example, we have uh, optimized uh, ramp accesses to the pit, reducing fuel consumption. We have uh, uh, improved the efficiency of our uh, SART plant, uh, therefore uh, uh, achieving higher recovery of uh, uh, cyanide. So what does that mean? That instead of consuming half a kilogram of cyanide per ton of ore, we're now consuming 0 0.25, 0 0.3 kilograms of cyanide per ton of four. Um, we have reduced, uh, you know, taking measure, we have changed uh, the catering service, for example, you know, and uh, there, we are in a remote location having to feed a lot of people. So uh, by, by uh, changing without impacting morale, uh, we've been able to reduce cost with the catering service and things like that, right? Uh, in in Yaramoco, in Burkina Faso, across the Atlantic, uh, we have changed mining method uh, for a portion of the mine, and uh, we are renegotiating with the mine contractor tariffs, right? Uh, in in uh, in, in Mexico, the same. We have uh, getting rid, rid of the mine contractor and have gone into a, a mine-owner-operated mine. Uh, there are risks associated to that, but also opportunities on the cost side. So a lot of work is going on uh, to uh, offset uh, the impact of inflation. The, the net outcome is that we're still seeing cost creep, but a lot of these initiatives are uh, reducing the, the net impact, right? Not completely offsetting, but reducing it. Uh, so yeah, we have a series of initiatives or chief operating officers. That's a priority for our chief operating officers for we have engineers working on productivity and things like that. So, uh, but margin compression in the industry is a reality. And, and you well pointed out that we are, uh, as miners, naturally hedged. But the problem is that the hedge has not materialized yet because we sold gold in 2021 at $1,800 and we sold gold in 22 at $1,800. And costs have gone up by 10, 15, 20%, right? Okay. Rafi, did that, uh, any other follow-up question there or did that answer? What yeah, you uh, just quickly, what is there, is there a single 
um, biggest contributor to the inflation compression? Um, what's the what's the main thing? Is it is it diesel or is it some other um, consumable? Uh, what's the biggest factor here? You know, it, it varies. Uh, it varies depending where you are, depending uh, uh, depending where you are, depending. Uh, if I look at uh, or, or when I look at our cost or, or, or uh, inflation tracker, uh, for example, diesel inflation has been most acute in Peru and Argentina. Uh, cyanide uh, inflation has been 60-58% in Argentina for us and uh, around 40% in, in, uh, in Burkina Faso at the Yaramoco mine. No? Uh, from December 2021 to December 2022, the cost of cyanide has gone up 60%, you know, 58% in Argentina and, and 40% in, in Burkina Faso. Uh, explosives. Uh, the cost of explosives in in Peru has gone up uh, around 55-60% and in Argentina has gone up uh, a similar amount. No? So it, it depends. It depends. The explosives have stayed pretty much flat for the Yaramoco mine and, and the San Jose mine in Mexico. But the, the, it, it's, I cannot generalize when I, when I measure the impact of some of these key consumables, but uh, uh, on diesel, cyanide, steel, and explosives, we do see, see all of them moving up largely, but at different rates depending on the jurisdiction. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, Jorge, one question I had for you coming is coming from the last press release that you guys had regarding Sunbird. You talked about upgrading the resource confidence with the goal of conversion to mineral reserves. Was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and extending the life of mine. And perhaps a second part to that is also how some of these grades that you're getting compared to your typical open pit project. Yes, and uh, if you scroll down that uh, press release, you will see a section, and I believe that will be a good uh, place to talk about uh, Sandbird, that, that cross-section that you have there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sandbird is our sixth mineral deposit in the Seguela camp. Let's call it a camp. Uh, we have uh, in their reserve, we have five of these deposits. We have Antena, Ancien, Boulder, Aguti, and Kula. Sunbird is the sixth one. Sunbird is not in the reserve yet. No? Uh, there we see the, the five, uh, six deposits. And again, the only one that is not part of the reserve yet is the newly discovered Sunbird. Sunbird didn't exist 24 months ago, right? Uh, and uh, what we have today is a 280,000 ounce measured and indicated resource plus half a million ounces uh, of inferred resources at a grade of 3.7 grams. And, and those ounces, almost three quarters of a million ounces, are within this uh, pit boundary that we show in the section uh, that you have in the screen. As you can see, beyond the, the bottom of that pit, 
we already have identified high-grade mineralization to the north and, and uh, to the south as well. So we're very excited. This is already shaping up to be the largest of all the mineral deposits in the San Seguela camp. It's not in the mine plan yet. You know, the nine, 10 years of production at an all-in sustaining cost of, you know, 880 to $1,000 per ounce does not consider any of these 750,000 ounces in resources. So we're currently doing the drilling to convert all of this into reserves and bring it into the mine plan. And uh, we just released the first batch of results from that infill program. And they're very supportive and, and very exciting. Uh, with our, you know, they're very consistent with our view that you know, this is an, uh, it's gonna be the best, best, bigger and better deposit of them all, right? broad widths with high grades, all of these will be amenable to open pit mining. So, you know, high grade pits mining, you know, 14 grams, 10 grams. Uh, the average grade here right now stands at 3.7. Uh, that puts this deposit on the high end of, of the high grade pits in West Africa. And West Africa is a place where you do find high grade mining, right? In, in open pit mining. The average grade of uh, open pits in Nevada is 0.4 grams. In West Africa is 1.5, one and a half grams. That would be like average. So at 3.7 grams, if we translate that into the reserve successfully, this will be you know, among the highest grade pits and mines in, in West Africa. Yeah, and Jorge, I know you mentioned that you just came back from West Africa. And in addition to that, on February 1st, you had a press release at 90% complete with everything that you're doing there. Any thoughts from being on the ground, seeing it in person that you'd like to share? You know, the construction is basically done and we're now transitioning more into the commissioning phase. So while I was on site, I had the, the opportunity to observe the, the commissioning and and. and of, of, of three of the main conveyor belts in the crushing system. That's always exciting to see when, when you, you know, you're starting to see equipment moving, right? Uh, so we commissioned the belts and the weightometers on the belts. Uh, and what's following now is to send ore to the crushers as part of the commissioning phase that's scheduled for the first week of April. So coming soon. And, uh, you know, the, the team there was uh, putting liners on the sag mill, uh, you know. So the, the, the dynamic at, on site is not about uh, concrete and, and structural steel and, and mounting of equipment. Uh, it's now about uh, getting the equipment going, de developing the operating protocols, uh, the operating policies, the, 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 the re operational readiness, right? Uh, we keep, Carlos, you know, keeps a, a very updated construction gallery on our website, and I invite your audience to, to visit it. No, it's exciting to see the progress. Pit operations started in February, so I was able to see the entire mine fleet uh, on site, uh, working, operating with excavation. So we're gonna be ready to have 
a good decent ore stockpile ready to feed the mill in April, right? Okay, and, uh, and on one of our previous calls, you mentioned Vadior and Barana were two of the newer targets that you've been looking at. Curious if in the uh, time since we last talked, are there any other targets that you've gained any more information about or are looking forward to or are part of the plans going forward? Even though a lot of our attention is, of course, focused on the construction during this last visit for the first time, I said, we'll take an afternoon to uh, drive to Barana and Badior because I had not been there. Uh, so I had the opportunity to go with our geologists and our, and our chief operating officer and visit Barana and, and Badior. And I'm very excited. I mean, we have, we delayed just for capital management purposes, we delayed the drilling of Barana and Badior into the second half of the year. No? After the mine is producing, we'll go back here to, to Barayana and Badior. But I'm very excited. Este, there is some artisanal mining taking place on surface. Uh, they are excavating on surface the trace of, of the structure. And we know that the artisanal miners don't dig anything that's not probably one to two ounces of gold at least, right? So we have drill holes there that, you know, intersect uh, eight meters with 12 grams and, and, and uh, uh, seven meters with 10 grams, two meters with 11 grams at Badior in particular. So uh, that's consistent what we see on surface with some of the informal miners high grading the structures, right? So, I mean, that we're gonna be putting holes there for sure. And our team is most excited right now uh, on, on Badior and Barana, yeah. Okay. Uh, one question we have come in from, that's come in from a couple of people in the audience watching today is about the dividend. And along with that, something that I think is a little bit difficult to do uh, mechanically, but people have asked if there's a possibility of a silver dividend of actual metal rather than cash at some point, if we do see an environment where inflation is getting really out of control, metals price is going up. I've talked with some people who say that's not the easiest thing to actually execute, but any thoughts on either part of that? You know, for, for, I always say for us, the question of the dividend is not if, but when. And uh, to me, a dividend needs to meet two key criteria. It has to be meaningful and it has to be sustainable. And in order to pro, for a mining top company to provide a meaningful and sustainable uh, dividend, you need a mine with uh, or, or a basket of assets with predictable reserves. That's a long life of mine. And if you see what we've been doing with Fortuna over the years, Fortuna started with, with the mining epithermal type deposits, veins, underground mines, with traditionally, which traditionally come with short life of reserves. And if you look at what we, we've been migrating towards is assets like Lindero, assets like Seguela, where we can talk about 10, years plus in, in life of mine. So we can talk about predictability and a meaningful dividend now. So completing the construction of Seguela is key to put in place a sustainable and meaningful dividend. With respect to, to paying it in, in metal, 
I believe that if we pay in cash, the investors can immediately go and buy the metal or whatever, have that flexibility. But uh, uh, the question is not if we're gonna pay the dividends when. And, and uh, for us, we've been setting the company to be able to pay a, a, a meaningful and sustainable dividend. We started already returning to shareholders, but very timidly, I have to admit, in 2022, we uh, have a share buyback program in place. When we saw the shares trading at $2.60, $2.80, we, we, we just were compelled to go into the market and purchase shares. I did it at a personal level and the company did it, uh, uh, you know, and we have canceled those shares. But again, as a company, we're still on a capital intensive phase as we deliver Seguela. So we need to get out of that capital intensive phase and start harvesting. And uh, that harvesting starts in the second half of this year. Okay. And something you touched on there that we did have a question come in for was the share buyback program and anything that you can comment on of how you're looking at that going forward. You know, we continue, we look forward to continue executing it, but we put it in place to have the flexibility. And again, we have we were weighing our capital needs with deploying capital, or capital allocation needs in the construction of Seguela versus purchasing shares in the market. And uh, I mean, when we saw the shares at again 260, 280, or whatever, we just had to participate, go into the market and buy the shares, right? Uh, but again, I would have liked to do more, but we've been prudent because long-term, what's important is the delivery of Seguela, right? So we've been protecting capital. So the company has a fortress by a liquidity position to ensure and bulletproof the delivery of that asset into production, because that's the one that's going to be able to provide meaningful returns to our investors. Okay. Um, and one thing I see, and I see, sorry, I see companies, uh, you know, uh, that are paying dividends and, and doing ATMs funding at the same time. You know, we've been quite prudent with uh, with uh, with our capital allocation and doing este, you know, the share buybacks that we could reasonably do in the context of these still high capital demands that are coming to an end this year. Okay. I know, can I just like add, add for one second? Uh, in the context of this, I think it was Credit Suisse that just declared a dividend. Was it like a few days ago or today they're paying a dividend? Good for them, you know, Credit Suisse. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy, yeah. And now they, they're asking for a bailout of I don't know how many billions from the Swiss Central Bank. It's like 50 billion or something. 54 billion. 54 billion. My God. <laughs> Can it's, I just, it's okay. They pay a dividend though, so it's fine. <laughs> can I just bring up one thing that we're overlooking here? You had some really good news released, I think, about a week ago uh, down in uh, Mexico. I was just going to ask that. You got next on your mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, we are going through this uh, traveling and repeated attempt by, by the environmental, the Ministry of Environment in Mexico called Semarnat which they continue to try to, 
or continue to attempt to, to modify our 12-year environmental impact statement. And it's crazy. This same office awarded us the environmental impact statement for 12 years, 13 months ago. And since then, this is their second attempt to modify it without any reason. So there is still independence in the Mexican courts. So we have taken this the first time last year to the Mexican courts and the Mexican courts ruled in our favor, saying that our 12 year environmental impact assessment for the San Jose mine stands. And after that ruling, they come back to us again, Semarnat, with a different argument, but still with the same objective of trying to reduce the, the life of, of the 12 year term of that EIA. So we have taken it to court once again, and the judges, uh, this is a special court on environmental law, on environmental matters. This court has ruled in our favor, providing us an, an injunction that protects our EIA while the court resolves this. And it can take them a year, two years to resolve this, right? We'll be in court for two years, perhaps. So while that is resolved by the court, the court has said that we are covered by this injunction and no one can fiddle uh, or change or 12 year EIA. So we are working under protection of the courts. And to be honest, I feel very comfortable being there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I know that's been a challenge to deal with, but also uh, shows how you've been able to navigate the places that you're working in, which is obviously an important part of the business. Um, Along with that, uh, we did have a question come in about the silver production going forward. You've talked a bit about the gold side, but uh, do you have an idea of the percentage balance between gold versus silver and any thoughts on uh, increasing silver production in the future? Yes, you know, in 2022, about 23% of our sales came from silver, silver sales. 23% of revenue was attributable to silver. Uh, so I think we're perhaps looking now a bit better than Pan American silver. When people ask me if I'm going to change the name, I revert the question to uh, Pan American silver. Ask that question to Pan American to, to my friend Michael Steinman, the CEO of Pan American <laughs> first. <laughs> Because people ask me, no, now you produce more gold and silver. Are you going to change your name? And I'm like, ask Michael Steinman that question and let, let me know what he says. <laughs> you know, Pan American Silver just bought a large gold company, right? Yamana. And uh, right now, Pan American Silver, silver contribution to revenue probably is around 20% or less, no? Uh, but in that range, no. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we continue looking for silver. In 2022, we had 12 drill rigs turning at one time, and eight out of the 12 were pursuing silver targets. So we we continue. We we like silver. We like gold. 
but uh, whatever, any of the two just has to make good money. That's the bar, right? Be it silver, be it gold, uh, but, but we look for both, yeah. Okay. So in 2023, we're going to produce a similar amount of silver like we produced this year, around 6.8 million ounces, 6.8, 6.9 million ounces of silver, which will account for around you know, 20% of, a bit less this year, perhaps 18% of revenue. Yeah. Okay. And another question we had come in along those lines, we see the report that last year, a silver deficit, according to the Silver Institute, Initially, they had said 194 million ounces. Then they revised that up to 253 million ounces. Do you have any thoughts on how that gets met going forward? I mean, as you've expressed, it's not the easiest thing finding profitable silver deposits right now. Do you see that? Sorry, I missed, I, I missed the start of the question. Was that we have, according to the Silver Institute, now a deficit of 250 million ounces. Yes. Just curious if you have any thoughts on that, and uh, is that going to be able to be ma made up? Is that something that could just continues to deplete the inventories until we simply don't have enough silver to meet what industry is demanding at a time where we have a lot of green movement and everything the industry, falling for silver? The industry is facing a, a material challenge, you know? the time to take a deposit from discovery to production is getting longer and longer and longer as the mining industry is being measured against heightened expectations on everything and permitting being more challenging. No? Uh, that's why one of the reasons why we like West Africa. And West Africa is not a silver, uh, it's not hunting around for silver, just for gold. But uh, I like West Africa because in West Africa, we've been able to take in three years, no, a deposit from scoping level to production. Where in the world can you do that? Nowhere. In Peru, it will take you a year just to get a drill permit for a prospect up in the middle at the top of the mountain. A year to get a drill permit that used to be weeks in Peru, two, three, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Now it takes over a year, if you're lucky, to get a drill permit in Peru. In Mexico, depending on the state where you are, it can be weeks or it can be impossible with the, under the current Mexican administration. Uh, so, so you know, Chile has just denied expansions to large mines and denied the permit to Rio Alto, uh, or Rio 2 is the name, a, a company, a junior that was going to develop a new gold deposit up in the Andes there in, in Chile. And last year, the, they denied environmental permits uh, to, to that development. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Alex Black, is the CEO, and, and that was very disappointing to see. But my point is, how are we going to cover that shortfall? Even, you know, and, and the problem is going to get aggravated because uh, real, real financial demand for gold and silver has not kicked in. We know that silver is lagging gold right now in prices and, and real demand for the metal has not come in. 
real demand is still, my expectation is that we're still going to see that. And how our minds are going to meet that? It takes years to build a mind these days. Years, years, years. You know, uh, transferring this to the copper discussion, because I believe there is a lot of cynicism here. The same groups that uh, push hard for the uh, EV transition and uh, to have uh, all electric vehicles in Europe by 2030, California, they haven't done the math. You need a one and a half world-class copper mines coming into production every year over the next seven years to meet the copper demands that an electrical vehicle or car transition demands. An electrical vehicle consumes about 80 kilos of copper, a combustion vehicle around 25. That gap can only be met by mines. And if it takes five, six, seven, eight years to develop uh, a small gold or silver mines, to develop a copper mine, require, it's 20, 25 years, 20 years from discovery to production. <laughs> no? So, so, and it is the same guys who want that green energy revolution are the same guys who oppose mining. The other day I saw a video with Greta that was being taken by the police as she was in Germany protesting against a coal mine. <laughs> but it's, you know, uh, there is no way in this environment where we are with the sort of heightened expectations on, on permitting, on processes, on environmental care and everything, that we can develop mines at the rate that the world is demanding. It's, it's, it's not going to be met. It's not. There is no way. No. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. You would think that yeah. probably have to be met with a higher price at some point. Um, one final question from the audience here, and then I'll uh, see if Dave or Rafi have any final ones before we wrap up. Uh, Robin asks, uh, are you concerned about the political risk at any of your project sites? You know, I always say to all my investors, mining is a frontier business, right? So you need to have stomach to, to tolerate uh, uh, some level of political risk. Uh, today, I am uh, very disturbed by the attitude of the government in Mexico towards mining, and I think it's mixed. Uh, but we have in some uh, government agencies like Semarnat, clearly an anti-mining attitude, and a president that goes around saying that they're not going to issue more mining concessions and there is not going to be more open pit mining in Mexico. So, uh, you know, this administration will go in 2024. No, they'll be out by the end of 2024. We have Mexican elections next year. But uh, Mexico is a country with a long and proud mining tradition. I, and I believe this, is, this will be seen as just as a hiccup, right? Uh, I am very calm in, in, in uh, the Ivory Coast. Burkina Faso has turned challenging with, with the security situation, but today is a small part of our NAV and we're not looking to invest more in Burkina Faso at this time. No? We're just looking to maintain our, our investment there. Okay. 
And uh, Dave and Rafi, did either of you have any final questions before we wrap up for today? I don't have well, anything. I couldn't, I couldn't resist this little uh, thing that I thought up in my head that uh, some governments are friendly towards uh, mining companies and some are not. <laughs> some are not. Yeah. Very well said, Rafi. <laughs> I, I will use it. I will use it. All right. Good. Just give me credit. <laughs> I will. Be sure I will. Well, appreciate that. And Jorge, anything else that you would like to share before we sign off for today? No, I mean, there is nothing more exciting and thrilling for a mining company than bringing a new exciting asset into production. And we're <laughs> in the midst of doing that in a challenging environment. I'm very proud of the team, very proud of the entire organization. It's not been easy for us since we announced the acquisition because uh, conveying that we've been doing has been difficult to the market, right? Uh, uh, first, we were challenged on, 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 and, and met with skepticism regarding our ability to succeed in West Africa, uh, that we were able to integrate a West African business, uh, uh, deliver as we had been known to deliver in Latin America, in West Africa. And I think we're doing that, no? And, and some of those concerns were legitimate on the part of investors, but we are clearing all of that with strong, solid delivery. We're delivering the ounces, we're delivering the construction on time, on budget. Since the integration of the West African business, I have only lost almost in a year and a half now, one executive from the Roxville side and he left for personal reasons. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where we are. And I never seen the company as strong uh, as, as we see it today. Well, appreciate that. And congratulations on everything you've been moving forward there. I know it must be exciting getting close to that first gold pour. And I'll just mention before we wrap up, you can find out more at fortunasilver.com. And uh, congratulations on the things that you're moving forward. So thank you all for being here. Jorge Ganoza of Fortuna Silver, Dave Kranzler, Investment Research Dynamics, and of course, my friend Rafi Farber of the Endgame Investor. Appreciate everyone watching at home. I uh, hope this was helpful and got some of your questions answered. And with that said, we'll wrap up. But uh, thank you all for being here.